All right, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn back to the psalm that Ken read for us earlier, Psalm 27. And we're just going to have a brief look at that, and then we're going to pop into Proverbs. I think we're winding up our, our, our walk through Proverbs with, with this message, and then I want to do some teaching out of Ecclesiastes and uh, out of the book of Job as we continue our journey through wisdom literature. But uh, I want to start just a, a quick look in, in Psalm 27 because it ties in very well with uh, what the message is about today. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord of, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And he talks about his total and utter dependence upon the Lord. And he said, even when things go wrong, uh, in the last two verses, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And so we want to certainly do that this morning. But, but turn over. I've got to be careful how I say this. When I say turn over in your Bibles, that's a very difficult thing to do. But uh, turn over to Proverbs chapter 1 comes right after the book of Psalms. If you were to start a new venture, if you wanted to learn something new, and Proverbs chapter 1 is where we want to be, but if you wanted to learn something new, you would need to find someone to help you learn that stuff, and it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe you want to get into music or, or singing, or maybe for some of you young guys, you want to be a NASCAR driver when you grow up. You need someone to teach you that. Or maybe you're a senior and you need to know how to use a computer or, or a cell phone so you can text and communicate with your grandkids. Or whether it's an automotive repair or whether it's an engineering. I talked to a young guy this week who just graduated from high school and he's going into biomechanical engineering. I said, what on earth is that? Well, he said, I'm going to be designing and, and fixing equipment that they use in operating rooms. Cool. Um, or whether you want to be a pilot or do fashion design or gourmet cooking, uh, whatever you want to do, you need someone to help you how to do it. You can't just start from scratch. When my girls were, were tweeners, uh, they decided that they, they wanted to experiment with cooking, and, and they had this idea that if they just threw a bunch of stuff into a pot and stirred it and heated it, that something good would come out of it. Uh, we had a few disasters in our house, like, like, and some people approach life like that. When I started out on this, this journey of learning music, I needed someone to teach me how to do it. I finally talked my mom into letting me buy a guitar, and I went, uh, my dad had a barber shop on Main Street, and I walked across the street to the sporting goods shop, and I bought a good, well, I ordered one from Sears first, and I didn't like it, so then I shipped it back, and I walked across the street to the sporting goods shop, uh, and I bought a guitar. Okay, so now I've got this guitar, now what do I do with this thing? How do I hold it? How do I tune it? Where do I put my fingers? Like, you know, and, and I made the most awful noises come out of it. Uh, a number of years later, we had already moved to Nippon, and, and my daughter, uh, our youngest daughter, had this, this violin. Uh, and I saw people play violin, and I thought, well, that can't be hard, so I thought, I'm going to give that a whirl. So I picked that thing up, and I mean, it was like pulling the cat's tail and stepping on its paw all at the same time, like I didn't know it could be that bad. The guy sucked. 
And so you need someone to, to teach you, to show you where, where, to, where to start with that stuff. And, uh, and, and when I started to learn new instruments, I looked for information. I looked on the web, and, and you can find oh, everything from soup to nuts on, on the internet, and there's some really bad advice out there. And you need to be careful with that. Now, it takes some natural gifting as well. Because like, even, like when it comes to hockey, no matter how much I practice or no matter if I had started when I was three years old and no matter if Wayne Gretzky, who was probably one of the greater players who ever lived, had been my coach, I know that I will never be NHL hockey material. But suppose that you could have the greatest teacher or coach in the world. Someone was who was an absolute expert, or maybe you could put a team together. If you were going into business, you know, maybe Warren Buffett could be your, your investment counselor, and Donald Trump could be your real estate advisors, and the families that, that run Walmart and, uh, and some of those stores could be your, your marketing and your, your, your business strategy people, and, and, and you know, some, some great movie people could be your, your advertising people. If you could put a team together, together like that, just think of how successful you would be. Just think of everything you could do if you had the greatest coach or the greatest teacher in the world. Yes, it will still take a lifetime of effort and work. But Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, found the greatest mentor in the universe, the greatest coach, the greatest teacher. And the good news is that that teacher is still alive and well. And he wants to be your mentor and my mentor. You see, this mentor can see the future. This mentor can change the course of events. He can move the hearts and minds of people. And this mentor even has the power over life and death. And when you and I have the greatest mentor in the world to teach us, and we learn from him, you and I can become the best possible people that we ever can be. So, how do we do that? How do we learn from the greatest mentor in the world? And that mentor is God Almighty. He wants to be your teacher. He wants to be my teacher. He wants to us to grow from him, to learn from him, to listen to him as he coaches us through life. Jeremy, could you throw that first slide up there? That mentorship starts out with two of the greatest concepts, and you find one of them in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. Now, we were there. There we go. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. We, we were there bef before. And I need to go back there as we finish up. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and leadership. The fear of the Lord is not talking about being terrified of God, but it is talking about holding Him in highest esteem. It means that we honor Him and we value Him as the God of the universe and that we crown Him as Lord and as boss of our daily lives. If you're going to learn from this mentor, you need to take this mentor's advice and to learn from him, even if it rankles you sometimes. 
I went to a music camp this last week, and, and, and it was called a fiddle and guitar camp. Now, I know that, that some of you, the word fiddle just makes you gag, but, yeah. But you know what? They, they told me some things that I was doing incorrectly. These people became my mentors, and there were a, a number of them, and they showed me. They taught me new things, and I have to put things into practice, and I might have to say to them, yeah, but this isn't the way I haven't been doing it all along. And they would say to me, but if you do it our way, you can become much better than you are. Really? I like that part. And so Solomon's concepts start with the fear of the Lord, honor him, crowning, crowning him as the Lord and reigning boss of your life day by day. And it also demands a personal and intimate relationship with God. In other words, we invite God into our daily lives. We allow him to shape. We allow him to direct. We allow him to correct. We allow him to rebuke. So what happens when we do that? What happens when we learn to trust God? And if you're going to have a personal relationship, an intimate relationship with God, you must first hold that God in highest esteem. You cannot trust in a God you do not know. Some people don't trust God. They're afraid to trust God, and I think the reason people are afraid to trust God is because they don't really know Him. But once you begin to trust God and to know Him, then you can build upon that foundation. So what happens when we put Solomon's concepts into practice? The first thing that we find is true knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 it's actually um, verse 7 there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Why the foundation? Why is this the foundation? Because God alone knows everything. God knows the ultimate truth by which all other truth needs to be measured. When you make God the boss of your life, when you allow him to shape, when you allow him to mold and to correct and to direct your values, your goals, your attention, when you allow him to do that, he will communicate to you that which is right and wrong and that which has true and lasting value. You find true knowledge and wisdom when you learn to fear the Lord or put Solomon's concept into practice. You also find a happiness that lasts. Proverbs 28, verse 14 says, Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Now, you might say, well, that's an oxymoron. An oxymoron are, are two things that don't really go together. It's like um, this, this is going to be a, a bit of a probably politically incorrect word, but it's like the concept of military intelligence, you know, sometimes, or, or political smartness. Uh, sometimes those two things don't go together, but that's an oxymoron. And you might look at this, well, if, if the fear of the, blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, how can you be blessed if you live in fear? We're not talking about living in terror. 
But happiness is different than cheer. The happiness or the blessedness is a deep, abiding, inner joy that no one can take from you. You find a happiness that lasts. You also find a strong confidence in the Lord. Oops. Where did we go? Happiness that lasts, satisfaction and fulfillment. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Uh, and, and the NIV says the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content. We talked a few weeks ago about the secret of contentment. Um, you know, when you learn to fear the Lord, you learn to be content. If you're struggling with discontentment, uh, that's not a God thing. I mean, there's, there's a difference between being complacent and being content. But when you learn to fear of the Lord, the Bible says the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Um, the other thing, now somewhere or another, I have managed to mix things up here. Uh, the Bible also promises us that if we put Solomon's concept into practice, you wind up with riches and honor and life. Now, the Bible says that humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life, and there are, are different, um, different ways of looking at that. Uh, and the reality is, what happened here? The statement means material riches, but there are also spiritual riches. Mark said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the world and lose his own soul? So there are rewards of putting Solomon's concept into practice. Now, I did something really dumb here. All right. The other thing that you wind up with is a strong confidence. Proverbs 14:26 says, "In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence." Confidence doesn't come from within, but it comes from fearing God. And it is much easier to put our confidence in those who have a history of not letting us down. A couple of weeks ago, I flew to Vancouver, and I went to, went to our national conference, and I walked into that airplane, and I sat down, and, uh, and pretty soon, uh, you know, the, the crew was already in the cockpit in the front of the plane, and this thing comes on, you know, hi, this is, you know, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, aboard our flight, this is Captain so-and-so, and on behalf of First Officer, whatever. I don't know these guys from Adam, but, but I have a confidence in them that hopefully they know what they're doing and hopefully Air Canada knows who they hired because I'm sitting in a metal tube and we're going up to 33,000 feet, which is six miles or better above the earth and we're gonna travel at, at 500 some odd miles an hour 
Hopefully these guys up front know what they're doing. They have a history of not letting people down. And so because they have this history of not letting people down, I can sit there and, and kind of lay my head against the side of the airplane as we take off and not really get stressed about this thing. But I hate sitting in that metal tube and you feel kind of trapped. But if these people have a history of not letting me down, but getting me down safely, then I can have confidence in them. And God has a history of not letting us down as well. In fact, God promises to direct the paths of those who trust him. The text that Kathy and I were given when we were married was Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And many of you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or he will make your paths straight. And when God, when you fear the Lord and God is directing your life, you don't need to worry. Because you have a strong confidence in the one who guides and directs you. And if I fear the Lord, then I will trust him with all my heart. The other thing that I get is a safe place to hide and rest. Proverbs chapter 14 Verse 26 goes on to say, uh, it starts with, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. There is a place of safety. There is a place of rest. Maybe you need some time to get away. Maybe sometimes you feel like your life is coming unglued. And God says, in me you will find uh, a place of safety, a place of refuge, uh, a place to find rest. David said in Psalm 27, here, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I don't need to worry. Now, it's a lot easier to worry than it is to pray. But the reality is that I have a safe place to hide and rest if I fear the Lord, if I trust in Him. Another thing that I get is the avoidance of deadly traps. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life turning a man from the snares of death. Verse chapter 16 and verse 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And God will guide and direct your life so that you will avoid the deadly traps. Another thing that we get when we put Confidence, oops. We're going to go, we're going to stop there, okay? Now, you might say to me, um, listen, like, I'm doing okay. I don't need God. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I'm doing okay. Here's what happens when you and I refuse to put those principles into practice. You wind up living a life that is characterized by foolishness. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Um, you know, people will say sometimes that ignorance is bliss. Uh, it is. No, it isn't. There comes a place where you and I need to go beyond the basics of salvation. 
Just imagine, what, what would happen if you were to wake up one morning, you go to bed one night, and you wake up in the morning, and you wind up standing before God. And he says to you, okay, now use your imagination here a little bit. He says to you, all right, so he said, you did okay. You trusted Jesus as your savior and, and you know, I, I'm going to, um, you get to live in heaven with me for all of eternity. But he said, you could have had so much a better life if you had only learned to trust me and to follow me. Your life was filled with frustration. Jeremy, throw, throw that slide back on there that, that was, I don't know what slide this is here. This is number, I have no idea. But throw that slide back on there that was uh, the very beginning of uh, when we did our, our uh, at the beginning of the service. That one. God says in Isaiah to his people Israel, he said, if only you had paid attention to my commands, if only you would have walked with me, if only you would have stayed with me, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And then C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books, says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And if we can go back to that slide, Jeremy, that says the consequences of refusal is a life characterized by foolishness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And you may say to me, many brilliant people in this world don't have a relationship with God. And that's true. But if someone misses out on the most important aspect of life, how brilliant can they be? The most brilliant person who does not have a relationship with God, the smartest person in this world who does not have a relationship with God will make wrong choices that result in life-altering mistakes. If you refuse, you will live a life that is characterized by foolishness. You will also wind up getting into trouble. Proverbs 28, verse 14, Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. To harden your heart is the opposite of fearing the Lord. To harden your heart is to say, there is no way that God is running my life. There is no way that I'm letting anybody else tell me what is right and wrong. There is no way that someone else is telling me what to do. Um, the reality is, I think, that just about everyone has a conscience that draws them toward God initially. And you can ignore that conscience, you can put it down, you can put it away, and eventually you become so hard that your conscience becomes seared. But there is something deep within each of us. 
I had a very interesting experience this week. This music camp that, that I attended, there were a lot of young kids there. The, the guitar side of this thing exploded, and a lot, a lot of young children were there learning how to play guitar, and they hired this one young man at the last minute from Regina, just graduated from the University of Regina with a degree in music, uh, to come and teach guitar. And so he and I were having lunch together one day, and... and um, so he was telling me about, you know, we got to talking about music and stuff like that, and he was telling me, well, he said, you know, I, I, I had this one girlfriend for a while, and I lived with her, and, and, and then we broke up, and I, I got this other girlfriend and lived with her for a while, and then I wrote a song about the first girlfriend, and now, you know, and then there was a third girl that I lived with and, and stuff like that, and, and so, okay, you heard all that, and, and just a few minutes later, we kept on in the conversation. I didn't say anything to him, but I happened to mention that I was a pastor, and he said, oh, man, he said, I wish I hadn't told you all that stuff about those girls. <laughs> and I didn't say anything. Like, I mean, I said, well, you're no different than everybody else around that I know. So, But, you know, there was, there was something in his conscience, right? You know, I mean, it, it, just, it just, there was something that he knew wasn't right. I didn't have to tell him. I just told him I was a pastor and he was immediately convicted. And the reality is that the people, the trouble that people fall into can be personal or business or career or marital, but nearly always moral. And what happens is when you refuse to submit to God, you become arrogant. And that's what happened to Solomon. His arrogance, Solomon's arrogance began to suppress and to supplant or to, to replace his fear of the Lord. And it destroyed his trust-based relationship with God. If you refuse to submit to God, you wind up with a shortened life. You wind up with stress in your life, and stress shortens your life. Here are a couple of things if you refuse to submit to God. Here is, this is from Creighton. This happened, a couple of news stories happened this week. Please say the body of a man who was driving a personal watercraft involved in a fatal accident on a northeastern Saskatchewan lake has been recovered. The RCMP's underwater recovery team had been searching for the 50-year-old on a lake near Creighton since Wednesday night. The man and two other people were riding the craft when he turned sharply and caused them to fall into the water. Uh, one woman was able to swim the 300 meters to shore, but a 46-year-old woman from British Columbia drowned. None of the three was wearing a life jacket. Police said driver inexperience and alcohol were a factor. This one is from a little town uh, that's just 235 k's east of Regina. New Brunswick man is dead. Four other people are injured after a vehicle rollover in Saskatchewan. RCMP say alcohol and speed are believed to have been factors in the Thursday night accident on a rural road about four kilometers east of this little town. If you refuse God's wisdom, your life gets shortened. And you wind up losing all the benefits of fearing God. You wind up not understanding your true purpose in life. You wind up with no secure place to hide and rest. You wind up being susceptible to traps that lead to death. You wind up without a shield from evil people. You wind up with no confidence that what you are doing is right and best. So how do you do this? It starts by getting to know God intimately 
And many of you know the steps. The Bible teaches that all people have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, that Christ has paid the price for our sins, that we need to turn to God in faith like Jack's mom did this week. And say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you paid for me. I believe that you paid the price, the penalty of my sin. Uh, and I will submit my life to you. I will come under your direction. I will come under your leadership. It starts by getting into his family. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And from there on, it starts by, or it goes on by learning to walk with God, by learning to pray, by learning to read His Word, by getting together with God's people. But you need to go beyond that. Sometimes we need to go beyond the basics. And God said, if only you had walked with me, if only your life could have been so much easier, so much better, so much fuller, if only you had learned to trust me. And so you need to choose to do what is right and not to do what is wrong. Proverbs chapter 14, uh, verse 2, He whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despises him. When you choose to do right, you honor God with your life. But when you choose to do what is wrong, you despise or you hate God. So you need to choose to do what is right and not to do what is wrong. And then you need to choose to hate that which God hates. Um, I'm not sure that, that we, we like the word hate, but the Bible uses it. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19, there are six things the Lord hates. Uh, and if you have, have been reading your Proverbs this week, you will have come across both of these references. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes or proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Check your own life out here. You know, on that list in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 19, I found a few things that I'm guilty of. God hates it when I do those things or when I have those kinds of attitudes. Choose to hate that which God hates. Jesus said no man can serve two masters. And he was talking about money, but it also has to do with self-centeredness or materialism or immorality. And the reality is that you cannot love God if you or honor and embrace God if you love what he hates. doesn't work that way. Here's another one. Stop being a know-it-all and walk away from evil. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. But it's like this one man said to me, Who needs God when things are going good? No, you need Him all the time whether things are going good or not. So, the reality is when you fear God, you gain 
the greatest treasure in all the world, when you learn to fear God, to respect him, to honor him, to make him the boss of your daily life, you will gain the greatest treasure in the world. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? You can have the greatest mentor, the greatest life coach in the world, God Almighty. He knows it all. He knows right from wrong. He knows the future. He forgives the past. He takes care of everything, and, and he has all the power to make things happen. You can have the greatest coach in the world, but if you don't pay attention to him, it won't do you a lick of good. But when we learn to fear the Lord, we gain <coughs> the greatest treasure in the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your willingness to work with us to teach us, oh Lord, that we would have the wisdom to learn from you, that we might experience your fullness, your peace, your joy, your guidance and direction, your safety. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week.